0: So, we'll be in Ephesians 6 today. I have verses 1 through 4, but I'll be focusing specifically on verses 1 through 3. A couple of comments here and there about verse 4, which I think certainly relate to 1 through 3. So, before I do that, though, uh, before I get into the text, I want you to uh, imagine that you are a young child, all right? Some of you don't have to imagine, but I want you to imagine that you're a young child. in the first century, in the Christian congregation in Ephesus. So, you, you gather with your family in Ephesus multiple times a week to fellowship with Christians, to sing hymns, to read from the Old Testament, and the increasing uh, New Testament epistles all right, being circulated throughout the Roman Empire. And this congregation that you're part of in Ephesus, perhaps even has a copy of the letter of James, perhaps a copy of Paul's letter to the Romans. Right, but on this morning, all right, you are in Ephesus and you're gathered together to hear the latest letter from the Apostle Paul. So as the church gathers together, one of the men stands up to read this letter from Paul. What thoughts are going through your mind? Now you remember Paul. Six years earlier, he had spent considerable time in Ephesus. Right? You were even younger then, so you don't remember much. But the one story that you constantly talked about with your siblings was about how Paul would do these miraculous acts of healing and how uh, these seven sons of Sceva would try to follow suit and try to do what Paul did. And the Apostle Paul seemed larger than life to you. Uh, You'd even heard of people that wanted to sacrifice oxen to him as to a god. And of course, Paul always refused that and said, you are to worship God. But there was no doubt that there was something special with this man, Paul. Right? People were even healed uh, by touching the handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched Paul's skin. And you remember those seven sons of Sceva who had tried to use the name of the Lord Jesus to rebuke the evil spirits? By saying, I adjure you by Jesus, whom Paul proclaims. All the residents of Ephesus know the story, young and old. The evil spirit answered, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And then the man with the evil spirit leapt on the, the, the seven sons and mastered them all, causing them to run out of the house naked and wounded. And of course, you'll never forget the huge bonfire. Right? You even remember your parents bringing several books and throwing them into the flames. You, don't remember, you, don't understand exactly, you didn't understand exactly what was going on when that was happening. But after that point, everything changed in your home. The conversation in your family came to focus on the Lord, the word of the Lord, and the things that this man Paul, this scholar, this apostle, was teaching. And so now, several years later, he's sending a letter to be read to your church. So as a child, you remember all these things about Paul. And you sit there with your parents, with your siblings, as this man from the church stands and opens his mouth and begins to read this letter. Paul. An apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. To the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You listen intently. You listen as the man reads through Paul's letter. You hear about blessings in Christ. The reality of spiritual death prior to conversion. The truth that salvation is by grace through faith. The coming together of Jews and Gentiles in Christ the new life demanded of Christians, and the charge to be filled with the Spirit. You hear Paul's words addressed to wives, and then to husbands. And then, you didn't really expect it, but you hear Paul address you. Children. Children. What counsel does Paul have specifically for you and your siblings? What specific wisdom will he impart? You listen intently as the man goes on. Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. Paul then goes on to address fathers and then slaves, and then he speaks of the armor of God, and then the letter ends. But you keep thinking about the words that Paul addressed to you as a child. Obey your parents. Obey your parents. It's not the counsel you expected, but the more you think about it, the more you realize it's just what you needed to hear. So, in the sixth chapter of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul does in fact direct his attention to children. And in doing so, he draws their attention to the law of God. He points them to the Ten Commandments, and he focuses their gaze on the fifth commandment, In particular, Paul's divinely inspired instruction to the young saints in Ephesus is to hearken to the law of God. To hearken to the law of God. And I'm referring to the moral law of God expressed in the Ten Commandments and fleshed out throughout Scripture. So look with me at Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 3 right now. Let me read it one more time. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. For this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Now his counsel to children is brief. It's a couple sentences. And there are a number of things that Paul could have said. In this epistle, which boldly proclaims the gospel of grace... Why does Paul go to the law in giving his advice to children? Why does he point children to the law of God? And why should we do the same thing in our homes if we are parents? I want to answer that question as to why Paul goes to the law here. And then I want to apply it to Paul's instruction to children in Ephesus. In order to think about the fifth commandment, in order to think about how the fifth commandment, is of such benefit to children, I want to first list three general benefits of God's law in general. Okay, three general benefits to God's law, of God's law, and then I'll apply those specifically to Paul's instruction here. So, to start off, there are three general ways the law of God is valuable to us. Alright, three uses of the law of God. Now, there's a lot of specific benefits to the law of God. I mean, just read through Psalm 119. You see all these ways that the law of God benefits us and helps us in our Christian life. But I believe all of them fall somewhere under these three general categories. So Paul, under the inspiration of the Spirit, saw fit to go to the law of God and in instructing children. And I think an understanding the way the law of God can be used will be helpful to understand why Paul did that. So I have three uses for the law of God, and I want to show you biblically why these I believe these are accurate. Now, all of these, I think, really, there's kind of a big heading here, reveal God's character. God's law, His commandments, reveals to us what God is like, right? His commands are um, a reflection of His nature to one degree or another. So, that's kind of the, the main heading. That's not one of my three things, but that kind of everything falls under that. But the three general ways to understand how the law of God works in the world are these. Number one, it curbs sin, so it acts as a curb. Number two, it shows us our sin like a mirror. And number three, it guides us in holy living. Alright, so we have a curve, a mirror, and a guide. Okay, now, first I'm going to briefly explain these, and then I want to apply them to Paul's instruction here to children. So the law of God is a curb against sin. So, first of all, the law of God acts to restrain sin or evil. It acts as a curb to curb. Something is to restrain it or check it. Uh, if those of you are familiar with horses, a curb bit is put into the horse's mouth in order to check it or restrain it, right? To restrain the animal from going off the course It's to check and restrain it. Think about a road, right? A curb on the side of the road acts to restrain the car from careening off into the sidewalk or other areas with people. Now it's true that some cars jump the curb, right? But curbs, nevertheless, certainly help to restrain some vehicular evil, right? They, they keep some cars um, from going off, whether it's a curb, a guardrail, it's a restraint. So how does the law of God curb or restrain evil? Okay, it does this by directing outward behavior with sanctions, okay? A sanction is a threatened penalty for disobeying a rule. Now, all sins don't include uh, sanctions from human authorities, right? Whether it's civil, church, or family, you know, there's certain sins that there's no punishment uh, on earth from an authority. For example, coveting, right? That's a sin of the heart that God will judge, but there's no outward sanction for that. There's no punishment, you know, you've broken this law, here's the fine, here's the penalty. But there are many sins that, that do have sanctions on earth. For example, we can think of murder. The sixth commandment. We can think of adultery, the seventh commandment, theft, the eighth commandment, or bearing false witness, the ninth commandment. All of those sins have biblically and historically been subject to some sanction, some punishment in society, right? Whether it was death, whether it was a civil sanction. Uh, you know, in our day, adultery not so much anymore. It used to be there, would, there would be there would be sanctions for that, for breaking the covenant with your spouse in society. But biblically, there were sanctions for these things in society. So I want to let's look to the Bible to support this. If you want to turn um, to Ecclesiastes, you can Ecclesiastes eight, verse eleven. I want to show you uh, in Scripture this idea that the law of God, um, applied in society, and we'll even look at applied in the family, but just broadly applied in society, uh, has sanctions. And Ecclesiastes should be right after Proverbs, and um, chapter eight. Verse 11, Mark, would you mind reading that for me, brother? Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed quickly, therefore the hearts of the sons of men among them are given fully to do evil. Thank you. So, because the sentence against an evil deed isn't carried out quickly, there's no sanction, there's no punishment, uh, man is fully set to do evil. Right? He, he, there's no check there. So, remember, in the context of Scripture, evil can only be understood in reference to God's character, His moral law. right? A law that's not based on God's law is a wicked law. This is why in Isaiah chapter 10, verse 1, we read that Isaiah says, Woe to those who decree iniquitous decrees. Woe to those who decree iniquitous decrees. Laws or decrees are to be righteous based on God's moral law. When they are, when a law is righteous and when it's enforced, Ecclesiastes eight teaches us that the heart of the children of man will not be fully set to do evil. It'll be checked, it'll be restrained, right? When there's no punishment for sin, when there's no consequence, man just gives you know he goes all out in sinning and evil. But when there is a, a, a sanction, when there's a punishment, It curbs it. It restrains it, at least to some degree. Now, we don't say this is the greatest goal for humanity, you know, the greatest, the highest end of God's law. But I am certainly thankful for less outward sin and evil, both in my home and in society. All right, and I think you should be too. I'm thankful for that. It's a curbing of outward sin. It doesn't change the heart, but it curbs and restrains some evil in the world. If you have sanctions, Which is why it's important that law in society is righteous and not unrighteous, which is what Isaiah is saying. You know, woe to those who make these laws that aren't even righteous. Now the Apostle Paul understood this too uh, in another letter, in the letter to Timothy, 1 Timothy. Um, Paul understood that the law, the law of God um, acts uh, in this specific way in regards to to the wicked, to those who are not, uh, don't love Christ, to those who aren't, whose heart is not turned to love God and obey His His Word. And if, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, beginning in verse 8, Paul says this, Now we know that the law is good. The law is good, and we'll come back to that. If one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers. Interesting that, Your relationship to your fathers and mothers is one of the first things that Paul mentions there. For murderers, the sexually immoral men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. So Paul here is saying, look, the law, it's laid down for the lawless and the disobedient, for the ungodly and the sinners. So when the law is applied properly in society in various levels, uh, it acts to restrain sinners and the ungodly in, in their evil and sin. Okay? So, that's how it acts as a curb. Okay? Ecclesiastes 8, 1 Timothy 1 shows us the law of God serves in this way to restrain evil. But the law of God does more than curb outward sin. It also acts as a mirror to show us our sin. Okay? It shows us that we need a Savior. And Paul knew this right well. He, 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 he understood that the law was what would lead us to see our need for Christ. Galatians 3.24, the Apostle Paul said, Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster, our tutor, right? To bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. And then Romans 7.7. 7. This one is the clearest one. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Is the law bad? Is the law a negative thing? What does Paul say? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. I had not known sin, but by the law. That's Romans 7.7. 7. So the moral law of God, both in general revelation and then specifically in special revelation in scripture, reveals to us how much we have transgressed God's standard. At the hearing of the law of God, every mouth is stopped, and the whole world is accountable to God. Right? Romans 3.19. Right? When the law is set before a person, if they're honest, if they're honest with their heart, right? In their heart. When the law is set before them, they see that they stand in need of a Savior. They see that they've broken God's law, that they stand guilty and condemned before a holy God. So the law acts as a mirror. It shows us our sin. Number three, the law is a guide. This is most important, perhaps I'd say, the law of God acts as a guide or a rule for our Christian life. It shows us what is pleasing to God. As I've mentioned in the past, even in in this class, that the law of God is vital for our sanctification because it's the roadmap by which we grow in holiness and obedience. If we don't have the law of God, then we don't know how we are to walk. Jesus said, If you love me... Keep my commandments, John fourteen fifteen. The good works that we are to do as Christians are good because they adhere to God's law. right? That's the standard, whether or not they're good works or bad works. Titus 2, 14. Paul writes to Titus and he tells him in, in chapter 2, verse 14, he says, He, referring to Christ, or who, so Christ who gave himself for us, To redeem us from all lawlessness. To redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for Himself a people for His own possession who are zealous for good works. Right? So, the law of God in salvation, Christ doesn't come and and totally remove the law of God from its relevance to our life. He's redeeming us from lawlessness, from disobeying God's law, and He's purifying us to be zealous for good works, which again, good works can only be understood as good if they're in conformity to God's law. You can't go out there and murder and steal and commit adultery and say, well, I'm doing a good work. These are the good works that God has planned for me because the good works that God has planned for us are those which are in accord with his law. So these are the three general uses. Um, I'm going to now apply these um, to this specific commandment and I'd also note that kind of a a sub aspect that's not on here. You know, these are just general, but kind of under this one, that the law of God, uh, because it's a guide for living life, it's the it's the manual for how to live life. It's going to lead to blessings in your life if you're walking according to the guide God has given. You're going to be blessed, and and Paul, you know, gives that specific example here that we'll look at. But Psalm one, he delights in the law of God day and night. The man in Psalm one, and as a result, he prospers. So we'll see that today as it relates to, to children. Any questions uh, before I move on to now applying this this general understanding of God's law to Paul's instruction to children? <clears throat> Not really a question, but the mirror part of it, we can see why society pushes back so hard on having a displayed anywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't want to see that mirror. That's a very good point, yeah. They don't want their sin confronted and... Uh, they know they're guilty. That's right. They would try to push it away it's as much really, as... I mean, it's vehement. Right. They really want that stuff out. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's true, too. Uh, in the same breath, they want they want, they want want less rules, but they also want to do away with shame. And they can't get rid of shame. Mm-hmm. And there's a reason they can't get rid of shame. Yeah, right. But they want to get rid of it. They try to get rid of shame all they can. Don't shame somebody for in whatever way they are, they can't get rid of it. They found no remedy for shame, because there is only one remedy for shame. We're glad. right, so let's now look at uh, these three uses of the law of God as they relate to one specific law, one specific commandment, the fifth commandment. In doing so, I believe we'll also be considering aspects of verse 4 of Ephesians 6, where it talks about parents being charged with bringing up their children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So I'm not spending a ton of time on that verse, but I do believe that if we want to bring up our children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, we need to do as Paul did, and understand the role of the fifth commandment in your child's life. Uh, That's going to be central to fulfilling verse 4. So... um, Let's look at how the fifth commandment now, this is Paul's instruction to the the children in Ephesus, and this letter would have been circulated throughout uh, the Roman Empire, and of course, it's been copied and handed down to us today, the very word of God through the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, um, with this instruction to children. So, given what we understand about the law of God from Scripture, and its role, and what it does, um, we're going to look at how it applies to this commandment. But first, real quick, I want to give an um, overview of the command that Paul gives here. Okay, so the the law is straightforward: honor your father and your mother. But what's included in honor, right? Uh, you know, love is certainly included in honor, but obedience is included as well—a reverence, a respect. You know, Paul makes that clear when he, when he says the first thing is obey. Right? There's more included in honor than 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 just one aspect. So, Martin Luther talked about this broad nature of the term honor. He says it is a far higher thing to honor someone than to love someone because honor includes not only love, but also modesty, humility, and submission to a majesty hidden in them. So, what is included in this charge to honor your father and mother? I want to give at least four ways that I, or four components of how children obey this command to honor their father and mother. So number one, they hold them in high esteem, okay? Children obey this command to honor their father and mother when they hold them in high esteem. All right, children are to have the highest respect and esteem for their parents. And this goes not only for young children, but also for grown children like you and me, right? Um, We are to have esteem and respect for our parents. Jesus rebuked the Pharisees, grown men, for their rejection of the fifth commandment in Mark chapter 7. We may get a chance to look at that a little bit more later. So all of us would do well to hold our parents in higher distinction than we do. God has placed parents as the most fundamental and important authority figures on this earth. There's no more important authority figure on the earth than a father and a mother. None can compare to the influence that parents have in the world, and none can compare to the care that parents give. None can match the respect and honor due them. No other office holds such a connection to God as that of a father. Right? God is a father, and by extension then the authority of that father to the mother as well and it's telling that in rebuking his people in Malachi for failing to honor him as Lord God sets before them the example of a son honoring his father in Malachi chapter 1 verse 6 he says a son honors his father and a servant his master if i then if i then am a father where is my honor and that's the lord speaking to his people so the first way that children young or old can obey this command is to esteem their parents, hold them in high esteem, regard them highly. The second way to obey this command is to obey your parents. Paul plainly states that in Ephesians 6.1 where he says, "You know, children, obey your parents in the Lord. Obey your parents as if they stand in the place of God, because they do. They're standing in the place of God. Unless a parent instructs a child to sin, obedience is required. Proverbs 13.1, if I give one uh, cross-reference here, Proverbs 13.1 says, A wise son, so remember when we talk about wisdom in the Bible, it's this idea of walking in God's law, walking in God's commandments, walking according to God's standards. So a wise son does what? A wise son hears his father's instruction. And the idea there isn't just he hears it and goes on, but he hears it, he hearkens unto it, he hears it and obeys it. So that's the second way you obey this command, is by obeying your parents. Number three, how do children honor their father and mother is they are to speak respectfully to their parents. Speech is one of the clearest ways we demonstrate respect and honor. And it's no surprise that the law of God uh, uses disrespectful speech to represent the whole of defiance of this command. So the word of God. If you if you want to turn to Leviticus twenty, you can. If not, I'll read it for you. Leviticus twenty verse nine. Um, when the law of God is being given, the word the, the the scripture uses focuses on the way we speak as kind of representing how we relate to our parents. And Leviticus twenty verse nine says, "For anyone who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death." He has cursed his father or his mother. His blood is upon him. And Proverbs chapter 20 as well, verse 20, reiterates this point. It says, if one curses his father or his mother, his lamp will be put out in utter darkness. Now the key thing here is that the scriptures is almost equating the way you speak to your parents, or speak of them, to your obedience to the fifth commandment. Uh, we would see that this language of cursing isn't simply a mere... You know, one time thing. It's, it's, this, is, this is your nature to, to speak spitefully and, and, and curse your parents and regard them as insignificant, no honor, no respect in the way that you speak to them. And it kind of cons- it represents all of defi- the defiance that is uh, in breaking the fifth commandment. So, children are to speak respectfully. Their speech is to uh, be commensurate with the, the position that they're speaking to their parents as, as a father or mother. And the fourth way that this commandment, the fifth commandment, can be obeyed is children are to care for their parents when they are old. They are to care for their parents when they are old. Neglect of this, at least partly, was the reason that Jesus rebuked the Pharisees in Mark chapter 7. But the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 5 was even more explicit about this. In uh, 1 Timothy chapter 5, Paul has given these instructions to the church and care for the widows. And he says something in, in 1 Timothy 5, verse 4. After talk, He's talking about these widows and whether they should be part of the, you know, the, the church's you know, benevolence and caring for them. He says, But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household, and here's the key, and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. So, children are to also care for their parents when their parents need care. All right, now, of course, there's more, I think a lot that we could add could be put somewhere in here among these four, but this kind of summarizes what's included in Paul's charge to the to the children in Ephesus here. What does it mean to honor your father and mother? So, keep these four aspects in mind. And then, now... Um, for the second half of this lesson, I want to look back at these, but apply the fifth commandment to each of these and see how the law of God acts as a blessing based on those three things. Any comments before I move on to that? How do you apply all that when you didn't have a or your father abandoned you, and mother tried as best as she could, but wasn't there either? Right. Yeah, we live in a fallen world, and there's a lot of times where Um, Children grow up without parents or without parents who have any desire to follow God's word. So I acknowledge that. And I think God's grace is able to overcome in those situations. And and certainly, you know, you're not um, I don't think you are in bondage whether if you didn't have a godly parent and you're a parent now that you can't learn from God's word, learn from your heavenly father how to. Um, be the best parent you can. We all, we all we are all going to fail at that, but if we continue to look to God's word for guidance and God Himself and His Spirit for strength, I think we can overcome. You know, a lot of that. So um, we certainly can. Even if we hadn't had that, that upbringing, we can give that to our children. I'd add that these aren't conditional. Like, there are no if-then right. statements here. It's it's do, it. do these things. And it doesn't matter what kind of parent you've had. Your responsibility as a child is to esteem, honor, obey. Uh, as long as they are right. doing what's a, a godly command, but if you know if it's not a a godly command, then of course you can't obey them. But yeah, but otherwise, then our responsibility as children is not if then. Right. And that's the other aspect of it, you know. I was referring to as a parent, but also as a, if you're a child and you're in your situation, you're not in a Christian home. You know, these things do still apply as far as how you are to, to respect your parents, mm-hmm. but you are not to um, sin, and you are not to go against God's standard, which is the one standard that is above all others. But yeah, I don't have time to get too much into into that. Um, as far as you know, the, those various. I know there are different circumstances. The general rule applies to all. But, um, yeah, those are definitely good things to consider. But as we think about this as Christians who desire to obey God's law, let's consider um, this commandment that Paul reiterates, right? He's reiterating the fifth commandment. So, think about number one. Remember how the law of God curbs evil. It does this by directing outward behavior with sanctions, Right. This is evident in the fifth command, fifth commandment. There are to be sanctions for failing to outwardly follow this law of honoring your father and mother, especially as it relates to these two. Right. Obedience and speech. Right. Those are things that are very outward that you can uh, see very readily. You know, kind of this is the main thing. If you have this, all these things will follow. Uh, You know, if you esteem your parents, but that's more of a heart thing. Do you esteem your parents and then it will be reflected in your obedience and the way you talk to them or of them. It's the same with God. If we esteem God and love God and and fear God in in the biblical sense, then it will follow that we will obey him, right? Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So given that the law of God acts as a curb, um, there, there are to be sanctions for breaking this law in the home. And the sanctions are to be administered by the parents, Okay, so this is not uh, you know church discipline or, or the civil authority. The parents are to administer the sanctions, and the sanctions are to be given with the rod. So I have four proverbs uh, here. Uh, you don't have to turn there, but if you want to jot them down, you can. We got Proverbs thirteen twenty four, which says, "Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him." Then you got Proverbs twenty two fifteen, which says. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Proverbs 23, then, verses 13 and 14 says, Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. If you strike him with a rod, you will save his soul from Sheol. And then finally, Proverbs twenty-nine, fifteen: The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Okay, so when it comes to restraining evil, right, curbing evil, we have to understand uh, two things about any law. There must be an injunction, which could be a prohibition, don't do this, or a command, do this. And then there must be sanction, right? Without sanctions, law is useless, right? Sanctions are the consequences. Now, God is not mocked. All his laws have sanctions, right? Every infraction of God's law brings with it natural sanctions, and ultimately, the sanction for any sin, unrepentant, is hell, is God's judgment. So God isn't mocked. There is a sanction for every sin, even if there's not a, a, a sanction on earth from a, from a civil or a family authority figure. But without sanction, law is useless, and God isn't mocked. Whatever you, you, know, whatever you sow, that you will reap. So, apart from Christ, you know, the punishment for our sin, the sanction, is death. But the fifth commandment specifically has familial sanctions, sanctions that are to be applied in the family. And if, it, you know, if it is applied correctly, there, these sanctions are to be there with the rod. So, if parents wonder, you know, what should I discipline for, let them at least discipline for this, right? Ephesians 6, 4, how do we bring up our children in, in the discipline and instruction of the Lord? The Christian parent ought to discipline for infractions of this divine law of the fifth commandment. The seriousness of violating this law ought to be enough to stir us to, to desire to at least, number one, curb uh, you know, curb sin, curb outward evil for the sake of our children. Right? If we understand how serious it is to violate the fifth commandment and the consequences that come from that. We should desire at least an outward curb against such evil, and, and you know, for the sake of our own children, for the sake of our other children, for the sake of our home. Right? Sometimes we think that a child's disrespectful speech or a lack of obedience to their parents is not as serious as, you know, maybe hitting a sibling or breaking an expensive item in the home. But I fear we overlook, the, you know, that disobedience to this command is a very serious offense in God's eyes. God has placed this command to honor your father and mother in the highest possible place. Right? It's first in the laws of the second table, Right, the Ten Commandments. first table uh, re- relates to our duty towards God. The second table is our duty towards our fellow man. So this commandment stands before all others as the foundation for all interactions in society. And how often do we make light of this law? How often have I made light of this law? The word of God does not make light of disobedience to this command. And here's a verse that I would encourage you to memorize with your children. Proverbs 30, verse 17. The eye that mocks a father and scorns to obey a mother will be picked out by the ravens of the valley and eaten by vultures. That's a verse that we would do well to think on and consider. It's a wicked vile thing to defy the fifth commandment, right? That picture in your mind of a corpse laying there and a bird plucking your eyeball out of its socket. That's how God views defiance to this commandment. It's wicked. It's vile. You know, why is it when people justify themselves if you're talking to them about God's standards, they say, well, I've never murdered anyone, right? Mm -hmm. I've never committed adultery. Before the sixth commandment, stands the fifth commandment, right? Before you even get to murder, adultery, and theft, stands the fifth commandment. And we make light of this law and think, uh, you know, offending other laws is, is a more egregious offense. But the testimony of Scripture says otherwise. In fact, if you turn to Romans chapter 1, and we kind of saw a hint at this in 1 in Timothy, but in Romans chapter 1, when Paul lists the, the results of a depraved nature people given over to a reprobate mind, right? He says in um, verse 28, Since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They are filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful inventors of evil what's the next thing he says? Disobedient to parents. Disobedient to parents. So Paul saw this violation of the fifth commandment it is one of the, the main things that results from a depraved, reprobate nature, given over to defying God, rejecting the knowledge of God that is clear. This is one of the things that results. It's a serious thing. If any of us doubts the seriousness of this sin or that there should be sanctions... For disobeying this command, I think we need to go to God's Word and have our minds renewed. So now, think about your home, okay? So the first benefit to applying this commandment in your home is that sin will be curbed. Disobeying parents brings with it natural sanctions in the sense that if you if you disobey your parents and there's no consequences, you're going to grow up with a lack of discipline, you're going to grow up with a lack of respect, right? Those are natural sanctions. Even if no one disciplined you, no one spanked you, there's going to be consequences, but there ought to be sanctions in the family as well, namely the rod. Like I mentioned, there should be a physical sanction for this. Children have folly bound in their heart, and we ought to expect to a degree this foolishness, right? That should help with our expectations and our frustrations, but uh, we shouldn't spare the rod. You know, a child who lives with God's law, right, with the injunction and the sanction, will be better off even if he's not saved. Because his sin will have been curbed, at least, and restrained. He'll also be better off because of point two and three, which we'll get to later. But he'll be better off because his sin has been restrained to a degree. I mean, think about this in, in society, right? As I mentioned, you know, I teach students. I spend every day with over 100 kids, age 13 through 18. And some of them may have come from homes where God's law is applied, but others, probably many, have not. And so, for those children who have not been faced with the law of God in their home, now I have to deal with more foolishness, more sin, because the law of God wasn't applied, sin wasn't curbed. And, and then, as they leave school, with, you know, this could be applied anywhere as they as they grow up and enter, you know, adulthood, and enter society in a more, uh, you know, poignant way. There will undoubtedly be more sin than there would have been had the law of God been applied rightly. So, teaching and applying the fifth commandment restrains evil and sin in the home. It prevents a child from being given to more sinfulness, right? Children who consistently disobey parents and consistently address them disrespectfully are storing up wrath for themselves and setting a pattern for the rest of their lives. Okay, so don't make the mistake, and we'll get into this briefly later, of saying that, well, if we're under grace we can lessen our focus on this commandment. The Apostle Paul didn't think so. This was the counsel he gave to children. So, um, the, uh, the opposite of a sanction is a reward. Okay? The implication is that you know, if, you, if, you, if, you do, if you don't obey, things will not go well with you. Right? Paul says it's the first commandment with a promise. And I believe that's largely referring to, to the, the natural sanctions, that if you obey this command, things will go well in life. Right? And that's what i talked about. I mentioned that, that, you know, the, the obeying God's law generally results in blessing and peace. And this is, is this truth is heightened based on the society we live in, how godly it is. But think about it. If you go out from here and you break a bunch of the commandments, you know, cursing, murder, adultery, theft, bearing false witness, is your life going to go better than it is now? Probably not. Right? And they're nat- these natural consequences... You know, also the the consequences from civil authorities, but even the natural consequences to law act as a restraint to some degree. You know, many of the worst sins in society are committed by those who, who think they don't have much left to lose, right? Their life is already miserable in their mind. They don't have much less to lose. What's the difference if I go out and steal this car? What's the difference if I, you know, murder this person to get the drugs I need? Now, they think they don't have much to lose. Of course they do. They have their own soul to continue to harden themselves. But there are others in society, by God's grace, who say, well, the things I'd have to give up to commit this sin outweigh it, and I'm not going to commit the sin because of the sanctions that are going to come. So, the Apostle Paul knew all this. He knew that the law of God is essential to life and to society, and that a child who focuses on his obedience to this law will save himself a world of grief and pain. So children, Paul says, in order to avoid sin and pain, heed this law. Heed this law. And parents, right, again... Verse 4, you do no favor to your children by lessening what God has demanded. You're not teaching them, instructing them in the uh, discipline and instruction of the Lord if you lessen your focus on the fifth commandment. Allow the fifth commandment to curb evil in your home. Allow your home to be a place where God's standards, not man's opinions, reign supreme. All right, that'll curb sin in your home. Okay, moving on quickly now to... Um, how the fifth commandment acts as a mirror in your home. So I said your children will be better off simply by the fact that their sin is curbed in the home. How does the fifth commandment um, as a mirror benefit your children? They're going to be better off because through the law, specifically the fifth commandment, they'll see their need for a Savior. Teaching the fifth commandment to children shows them, and you if you're a parent, your need for Christ. So by esteeming this law, this fifth commandment in your home, and by making it part of the warp and woof of your home, just part of your everyday life, you will be setting before your children a mirror. Right? Remember what Paul said, I would not have known sin, but by the law. So my plea to parents is, if you don't do this, if you don't teach the fifth commandment, you're depriving your child of the blessing of the mirror of God's law. right? That they would see their need for a Savior. Again, this theme comes up that People think, well, I'm going to show grace by not emphasizing law. And people, parents can think, well, you know, I'm, I'm going to refuse to discipline. I'm not going to discipline, uh, and that's going to be helping, you know, my child. But as I said, the Scripture says, he who hates his, rod, hates his son spares the rod. Okay, he who hates his son spares the rod. So the reality is you're actually taking away the thing that will show them their need for Christ. When you say, well, this home is going to be a home of grace and, and no law. And that's just a misunderstanding. We'll we'll cover that briefly in the end a little more. So if we do not apply this commandment in the home, we forfeit two great benefits. One, sin won't be curbed in our home. Two, our children won't have the law of God set before them, acting as a mirror to reveal their sin. You know, this commandment, more than any other, perhaps, will reveal a child's sin to them. Because the life of a child is the life in the home. It's the life with your parents. It's a life focused on your relationship to your parents. So if you're taking this one commandment that stands you know, in this esteemed place in God's mind and throwing it away, you're throwing away this opportunity for a child to, to face the divine law of God of which honor thy father and mother has this very important place. And is to deprive them of the schoolmaster that would lead them to Christ. So we ought not to do that. We ought to... Teach this commandment because it acts as a curve and a mirror. Finally, the fifth commandment acts as a guide to holy living. All right? So, the great desire of godly parents is to see their children saved. Right? If we're a Christian parent, that's what we desire to see them trust in Christ, to see them come to embrace God's law in response to God's love. Okay? We Jesus said, If you love me, you'll obey my commandments. So, in the hope that our children will come to faith, if they have not already, we ought to teach the fifth commandment in order to give instruction to young Christians or soon-to-be Christians, okay? You know, as I've mentioned, obedience to parents is the most visceral and practical thing in a child's life, especially as you're young, but even as you grow up, if you're in the home. And why would you want to take away that main area uh, where a child's sanctification can be experienced in? The main area in which they can please God is in honoring their parents, and this is really the highest function of God's law. It directs us to those good works that we are called to do as Christians who have been saved by grace. Okay? It's a guide. It shows us how to please God. right? Not in the works mentality, but this is what God calls us to do as Christians saved by grace. So a Christian child who does not learn what the Apostle Paul is saying here, who does not learn what God requires of him in the home, will be overwhelmed when he or she leaves the home. Because God requires obedience in every area of life, every single thought, every response, every action is to be done in accord with God's holy standard. Now when we say no man can live up to that, we aren't saying that the law is some unrealistic standard. We're saying that we are weak, we are frail, we stand in need of more grace from God's Spirit. You know, there is something wonderful about being a child, right? The, the, the demand for obedience isn't less. It's not like, you know, parents have to obey more children less. But the world is simpler for a child in many ways, right? They have to obey their parents and live in this world that their parents set up for them in structure. As they get older, and even in the home, you start to realize if you have a job, you, you have other concerns, other demands. Um, but a child's life, especially very young, It starts out very simple, you know, very simple. Obey your parents, honor your parents, you know, temptation to be anxious over finances or other things or a home or a car. It's not there yet. right? So if we take away the aspect of God's law that applies most directly to children, the fifth commandment, we're doing them no service. We need to let our children see that God's standards are the guide to glorifying him. So lay this commandment before your children, lest they grow up thinking that being a Christian is all about grace and no law. All right, so I want to touch a little bit on this now of those that will, I've hinted at it, but say, you know, we're about grace. We're about grace. We're not about law in this home. All right. Hopefully by now we understand that the law of God has an extremely important place in the Christian life. Now, there are those who will say that because of grace, the law is no longer important in the life of a believer. In fact, even historically, some people would say, okay, hey, these two things are good, because that really refers to non-believers. But when you get to the third part, the Christian isn't under law in any way. And that's, that's very dangerous. Um, you, this is antinomianism, right, against the law. And I wonder if antinomians have thought much about the practical problems with their view. I know a lot of people who've grown up in nominal Christian homes. These were homes that were largely antinomian in practice, at least. Right? There was no love of God's law. There's no sanctions for disobeying it. There's no pointing to the Savior. And if there is pointing to the Savior without the law, what does it even mean to be saved? Because if you don't know what you need to be saved from, what your sin is, then... A save, The idea of a savior is useless. Now, so these people that have grown up in these homes, they're grown up. What's their view of Christianity now? They think, well, God loves me, but they have no understanding of the rule of the law. They have no understanding of their sin in transgressing the law of God. They have no understanding that God's law is the guide for how you live your Christian life. They fundamentally misunderstand that being a Christian includes requirements, duties, and laws. They can be a Christian and live with their boyfriend or girlfriend, right? They can be a, a Christian and have no problem with sensual parties and irreverent joking. They can be a Christian and have no problem with the immorality around them, right? They can be a Christian and have no issue with being caught up in the very same things as the world. Why? Right? Why is that? They grew up without a proper understanding of God's law. They didn't follow the command, the fifth command, perhaps because it wasn't set before them, and it has not gone well with them in the world. May it not be so in Christian homes. Mm-hmm. right? God has designed the Christian home as a place to prepare a child for the Christian life. A life of obedience. Paul's counsel here to the Ephesians is that Christian home, homes would be built around the application of God's law. It's a misunderstanding to view the law of God in ...in a negative way at all. Okay, One of the problems with the shallow teaching... Uh, ...in American evangelical Christianity... ...is that people assume the law is bad. The law is not bad. The law is good. We're the problem. Of course the law cannot save. That was never its function. The law functions to reveal God's character. It functions to curb sin, to show us our sin... ...and to guide us in good works. Right? If you think the law is bad... Or if someone thinks that, right? can you imagine a situation where you would want less adherence to the law? You know, son, you're honoring me too much. Today, can you be disrespectful to me? Can you disobey me? You know, uh, you know, You're following the law too much. Can you go out and steal? Can you go out and murder? We would never think such things. The law is good. It was never a bad thing. The problem is in our hearts, which is why God calls for sanctions for sin, Right, the ultimate sanction being death. Right, that's not because the law is bad. That's because we're bad uh, in our rebellion against God. So the gospel does not remove the place of the law of God in our world. The law still curbs sin, still acts as a mirror, and it still serves as a guide to honoring God. All these things are seen clearly in considering the fifth commandment. You know, some gonna say, "Well, main thing my children need to learn is the gospel." So I'm just gonna focus on that. Yes, but without the law, the gospel makes zero sense because there's no salvation from sin if you don't understand what sin is. Nor can a Christian grow without the law. It's the guide, it's the roadmap for our growth. Also, I'd say, as kind of a sub-point here, that the, 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 the law plays this role in Christians' assurance and a Christian's assurance of their salvation because true heart obedience, right, not just an outward, outer obedience, but a heart obedience to God's word, to God's commandments, is a sign that you've been converted. So, you know, children, we, are you converted? If you're a child, are you converted? Your great test of practical obedience will be here in Paul's words to the Ephesians. Are you obeying your parents? Are you honoring them? Though you won't be perfect in this, do you have an increasing desire and tendency to obey and honor your parents? Okay, that's kind of another benefit under the guide there. Um I'm going to wrap up with thoughts of application before I do that. Any comments on where we're at so far? Yeah, I just thought um, thinking of, you know, we're talking about the law, and uh, one of the things that Jesus said was, I did not come to abolish the law, I came to fulfill it. And if he's fulfilling the law, then the law is still Mm important. Yes, I agree with that. The law, Jesus came to fulfill, he magnified the law. He he didn't, as I understand his, his Sermon on the Mount, he didn't you know, turned the law of God on its head, he turned people's understanding of it and their interpretation of it on its head, but he magnified the law. Well, I want to close then with um application. Okay, if parents, if we as parents are to bring up our children in the Lord, one major part of that must be applying the fifth commandment. All right, we are to hold this commandment before our children and teach it, right, to bring them up with discipline and also reverence for God. Um, so I want to give three thought, points of application. Three for children, three for adults, and then we'll be done. So for children, number one, consider what a high and holy calling you have laid before you. You know, children can be prone to think that they don't mean much. right? And our society can encourage that thought. You don't mean much. You're just a child. You're insignificant. You're not as important as grown-ups. Children can be prone to think that once they get older then life really begins. Perhaps they can even think, once I'm older, then I can really serve God. Then I can really do something that's going to please God. But the place of the fifth commandment in the Word of God ought to destroy that thinking. You ought to destroy that type of thinking. Martin Luther said that the fifth in the fifth commandment, a great, good, and holy work is assigned to children. A great, good, and holy work is assigned to children. In fact, the child, then we could say, perhaps more than anyone else, has the clearest path to honoring God with good works, right? This commandment is set before all children is the first of all commandments relating to loving our neighbor. Children, we ought to say to them, children, though others may view your obedience to your parents as a trivial thing, as a silly thing, the Apostle Paul did not. And God Himself counts it as very precious that you would honor your parents. Consider this commandment for what it is, the very calling of God on your life, because there is no higher calling than doing that which pleases God. There's no higher calling. So if you want the highest calling in life, do that which pleases God. And there's no other commandment that God has set first in our relationship to others than the fifth commandment. So children have a high and holy calling in their life. They should never think that they can't, they're can't. they unable to please God and serve God. God holds this commandment in high regard. So that's number one. Number two, take advantage of the opportunity to learn about God through this commandment. Your parents are not sinless, but your relationship to them helps you understand your relationship to God as father. We looked at Malachi 1 where the Lord says, As a son honors his father, and a servant is master. If I then am a father, where is my honor? So understand, children, that God requires you to honor your parents, just as he requires us all to honor him and us all to honor our parents. So learn from this about God. Number three, set an example. All right. Third application to children. The Apostle Paul told young Timothy to let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech and conduct in love and faith and purity. That's first Timothy four twelve. So. Setting an example is one of the most powerful ways to influence others. One of the most powerful ways is by an example. In fact, it's one of the main roles of the pastor in First Peter 5. You to set an example for the flock. And so as children, think about the example that you can set. I, I submit that we have just as much to learn, if not more, from a godly child obeying her parents than from an accomplished Christian scholar or missionary. The greatest in the kingdom of heaven, the Lord said, are those who do and teach the least of these commandments. The fifth commandment may be despised, it may be the least in the world, but it's not so in the kingdom of of heaven. Children, your example in this stands as a monument against the idolatry and sin of the world. So you can set an example to others. So You have a high calling, you have an opportunity to learn about God, and you have an opportunity to set an example. Very briefly now, three points for parents. Number one, teach this commandment to your children. Don't simply state it, apply it. What does the commandment mean? How should it be experienced in your home? Are your children honoring you when they slink away from you when they're being corrected? Are they honoring you by interrupting you when you speak? Make practical applications such as these part of your family structure. And then the real hard part, especially if you have young children, um, which... I know this has been one of the hardest topics for me to study because in my Christian life, one of the hardest things has been parenting and seeing how much grace I need to do it. Um, the real hard work comes in spending your days not growing weary and training your children. Consistently, lovingly, disciplining, because to love means to discipline. right? Focus on this commandment often. As you gather daily to instruct your children in the Word, don't neglect this commandment. Right? This is the one piece of counsel Paul gave to the Ephesian children. We would do well to emphasize it. So really teach this commandment. Number two, we've touched on this. Don't confuse grace with the relaxing of God's law. Right? Jesus said, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Right? and Remember the Proverbs that we talked about. Don't spare the rod. Don't relax this commandment. Because God's grace actually teaches us to deny ungodliness and lawlessness. So the law is a wonderful thing when it's when we understand it correctly. It curbs sin, it reveals sin, and it shows us the the good works we are to walk in. Finally, obey this law yourself. Right? We are all children, and most of us um, probably still have living parents, and we ought to consider uh, Jesus' charge to the Pharisees and Paul's to Timothy as it relates to our relationship with our parents, even though we are adults. I tell people that my social security plan is my children. And it's, part, it's only part and jest because when I truly need them, I expect my children to care for me as I've cared for them. But I also expect the same thing for me with my parents. And I have much to learn uh, regarding honoring my parents. There's much I failed in and probably still do to this day um, in regards to following this commandment in, in honoring my parents. I am thankful that the blood of Jesus cleanses me and cleanses any who come to him from all sin, not least of which is the sin of disobeying or dishonoring our parents. This commandment has a very high place in God's mind, and Paul saw fit to give this as his counsel to the Ephesians, uh, the, Ephesians child, the children in Ephesus. So, I hope this has been encouraging. Um, let me close with a word of prayer. Any final comments before I do? We ran over a little bit. So thank you guys for your kind attention. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this time in your word. We thank you for the counsel that the Apostle Paul gave to the children in Ephesus, that they would obey their parents and the Lord, for this is right, to honor your father and mother, the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with them. Lord, as parents, we know that we are charged with bringing up our children in the discipline and instruction of you, Lord. Help us to do that, to not grow weary not provoke our children to wrath. There's so much more to study in this text. Help us to consider your word daily with our children. Lord, if if there are those that don't have children that we would still learn from this commandment as we all either still have earthly parents or have had them and we have a, a father in heaven. Lord, we, we thank you that oh, we can relate to you. You are the perfect father. We can come to you through the Lord Jesus Christ and help us to honor you as we ought and help this commandment to be a part of christian homes at cornerstone church that um, there would be godliness there would be a revealing of the need for christ and there would be conversions and this uh, this commandment as well as all your your whole, all everything in your word would stand as a guide that we would honor you bless the rest of our time this morning together pray you bless pastor davis he brings the word and i just thank you for the opportunity we have to to gather together and and edify one another in jesus name i pray amen